Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Howdy, folks. Happy Tuesday. We are back. We have some games to talk about, some events in the NHL, um, and we have Kevin Allen with us. Uh, but, Russ, we let's start with our pre-show. Go ahead. So, on Monday Night Football, of course, I didn't watch it, but I saw in retrospect there was a black cat on the field. And the most famous black cat incidents was in 1969 with the Cubs and the Mets. The Cubs mm-hmm. were up in, in the standings and the black cat happened and the Mets, you know, Miracle Mets came from behind, overcame, beat the Cubs, won the World Series, right? So from this game, the Cowboys won the game. So I'm going to have to assume if black cat lore holds true that this is like the karma reversing for New York and the Giants were just black catted. And or I mean, have to track this. What do you think, Kev? Well, yeah, for sure. Uh, I I think the uh, the story of the black cat though was the call of it by I I think it was the local guy, but Kevin Harris, yeah, and the and the you know call is he's you know down to the three, the two, he's in the end zone, and th- what made it was the the uh, broadcaster had the presence of mind to include the corporate sponsor, yeah, you know, yeah. In, the, in the end zone, like the cat has just ended, you know, the uh, the Wendy's uh, red zone, right. In, so, so uh, it was hilarious. I, I've seen a lot of people on social media talking about the call of that, uh, you know, black cat. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love those kind of stories that, you know, just kind of pop up out of nowhere and makes the game memorable when it probably wouldn't be otherwise. Or, so. or, or, or it could just be that the Giants suck and the cat had nothing to do with it. I mean, well, it, it could be that as well. I mean, they had that going for them anyhow, but we have, you have to look. It's not going to matter for this season because this season was never going to be the Giants' season anyhow. But if all of a sudden a lot of guys start getting injured and it affects their next season, then I'll believe in the black cat. Like if this was a beige cat, we wouldn't even be talking. No, no. <laughs> you know, I, I can't even argue with you on that. <laughs> now, Kevin, there has to be some you know uh, neutering going on or whatever in, in, in Cleveland because I think there's probably like a collection of like thousands of black cats the way the, the season has gone for the Browns. I'm, I'm fixated on that because the Bills are playing the, the Browns this week. And I have never seen a team with more expectation have a worse season, and a lot of people were blaming the head coach. But I also think it's a bunch of egos in that locker room that are just not meshing well. I, I you know what, I, I think you know if I'm going to have to blame one person, uh, to me it's Baker Mayfield. Um, yeah. Like he just said, really has not been the quarterback that everybody was counting on him being. And people were, you know, the sad thing about that is people in Cleveland uh, were so excited about that team. True. Um, uh, you know, they they just really felt that this was a team that was going to remove the shame of being a, a Browns uh, uh, fan, and uh, uh, you know, just it just hasn't been able to get it done. And you know, I, I, it, he's he's not a, a very likable guy mm-hmm. uh, when you and you meet him either, and um, so that doesn't help. You know, when things go bad, he just doesn't have that connection uh, with the media that allows him to you know, get to the benefit of the doubt. Um, 
you know, I, I, you know, it's just a bad situation and um, kitchens is probably going to be one and done the way things are going. Yeah. I'll tell you this about it. When the quarterback class of that year was up, I knew the jets were going to get one of them. I didn't want Mayfield because I felt that personality was going to get him trouble in New York. Just imagine if he was in New York, how it would be. Even Cleveland, it's blown up, which, you know, it's funny. We've seen this metamorphosis in the kid too, because it's like, he went from super arrogant, cocky to attacking the reporters to showing up looking like a private detective at the last. Like, I feel in a way I do feel for him because I don't think anybody's mentoring him. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. And, you know, it's a lot uh, to take on, like, he, you know, stepping right into the league and then suddenly being, um, you know, set up as the savior uh, of the of the franchise. Uh, you know that that's a lot of pressure. So I'm somewhat sympathetic in that regard. And uh, you know he's a talented kid. Um, there's no no doubt about it. But I might have been too much too soon. Like but if no, he if he would have had a mentor, I think he would have done a lot better. But normally you're you're right, Kevin. It's not one and done in the NFL. Even bad coaches get right. two years. But I think we have an example of Kitchens in in Cleveland and Russ. I, I'm, t- I'm telling you, Adam Gase looks like he's one and done as well. And I heard, a, I heard a discussion I yesterday. And I, I, I like Sam Darnold. He's not having a good year. He, you know, the, 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 the mono, the ghost thing, all this stuff. But they're talking about if the Jets finish one and fifteen or two and fourteen, and in the top three or four, and the, and they have a chance to draft a quarterback, that they might draft a quarterback and dispatch Darnold after two years. Well, I that's insane. Uh, I don't think they would dispatch Darnold. I think they just might draft another quarterback. And I, I'm not necessarily against that because at the end of the day, you really – and Kevin knows this. He, he covers the NFL a bit. I don't even cover him. I just – I'm strictly a fan. You give a quarterback these days three years. No matter what the circumstances, it's three years. And, and that third year, if it doesn't happen, you've got to get another quarterback. Well, you know what? The Jets don't want to go into next season and all of a sudden half season seeing that Sam Darnold really – you know, basically they ruined them. They won't admit that. But if he doesn't come around, then they'd have somebody to come off the bench. Yeah, I mean, they've given Matt Patricia that uh, in Detroit. And <laughs> he, he might be at the end of his uh, yeah. uh, tenure, too, the way this team is performing. So playing so poorly defensively, which was supposedly his uh, his area of expertise. And, you know, I, in this day and age, I don't know how uh, – and I've seen the statistic. It's probably it's probably a little better than that now, but it was two or three weeks ago I saw the Lions blitz 9% of the time. I just don't know how you can be an effective defense. 9%? That's it? That's it. They're lowest, wow. they lowest in the NFL. Now, wow. again, I don't know what's happened in the you know the three weeks, but um, you know that statistic is so stunning to me. I, I just don't know that you can be successful in the modern NFL without uh, putting you know more pressure on the quarterback. And, you know, they're, they're last in – so many defensive categories and, you know, again, for a, a coach that's supposedly known for his, you know, defensive scheming. So anyway, let's talk hockey. Okay. Uh, hello, hockey world. Today is Tuesday, November the 5th, 2019 election day. I'm Russ Cohen from sportsology. Kevin Allen from USA today. And I haven't voted yet, but I plan to. Me too. And I'm Michael Agello and I voted at seven 30 this morning with nobody in the polling booth. Nobody in the place at all except me. And this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Uh, Russ, you said you had a stat that you wanted to bring up to start. I do. Okay. I think it's easy to take certain players in this league for granted. And right now, and I'll see if you guys can guess it. I know I always hate when Eck does this to us, but 
I'll do it anyhow because maybe Kevin will get it. Maybe you'll get it. But there is a guy who right now is fourth in the league in active players and assists who's played the fewest games of the top four and could climb, you know, at least one or two more notches before it's all said and done. And I think this guy gets overlooked every day of the week. Fourth in the league in assists. Active players, yes. In active assists, okay. Active assists. He's got 889, something like oh, that. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Joe Thornton's the leader. I'll give you that Yeah, one. I knew I knew Thornton was leading in that category. Uh, Nicholas Backstrom. Yes, Nick Backstrom. Yeah, that's a Number great guess. Two, that's a great guess. Number two yeah. was um, Crosby. Number three, Getzlaff. Which I think Getzlaff probably would – people might struggle – putting him third, but I, you know, because of Alex Ovechkin, we probably don't give Nick Backstrom enough credit. Now he's not a point of game player in his career because he doesn't score enough goals and Ovechkin scoring a lot of goals, but he'll still get in the hall of fame and he's still a great player. Yeah. And his status Kev, I mean, he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. I know they've been, there's been a lot of talk about that. The same with Holpe and, and Washington and they're, you know, they're operating on all eight cylinders right now. I've seen them play a couple times. They're, they're, they're playing amazing right now. Uh, I can't see Backstrom in any other uniform. It's just a question of whether he'll take a little less to stay there. What do you think about his staff? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think that deal is going to get done. I think this is a Yossi situation where right. both parties know that he's going to stay there. He likes it there. Um, and I agree with your assessment of Washington, too. It's hard to believe for a team that just won the Cup uh, – you know, two seasons ago, um, a season before last, uh, but they're flying under the radar. Like, you know, I think like, because of the Bruins, but I think they're yeah, better. Well, the Bruins and the fact that the story has been the Lightning's collapse. And right. I think the, the, the teams that have surprised us has stolen uh, some of the thunder as well. You know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of discussion about the Edmonton Oilers and what's going on in the Pacific Division. Uh, and I want to go back and make a point about Getzlaff. You know, why he doesn't get as much notoriety is, is because. He still suffers from people that thinks he should score more goals. Well, you know, when it, when a player is that big, you know, Joe Thornton went through this too. Mm -hmm. Like nobody recognized what a great passer he was because they say, you know, a guy that big should score more goals, and that's yeah. what they say about Getzlaff. Well, traditionally, uh, traditionally, like I remember, it was two or three years ago, he had one goal at the halfway mark of the season. Then he ended up like around twenty. I was surprised when I was looking up some stats on on the Ducks. He's got seven goals right now. So, yeah. and and they're to me they're a little bit of a surprise because I expected them to be at the bottom of the division, and I think they're they're playing a lot better than a lot of people. I do I do want to double down though on the on Tampa because mm -hmm. Kev, last year I was down on John Cooper before the collapse. Mm -hmm. Before I I just I I don't know if his style of hockey is working there anymore. He's brought in all the John Cooper guys you could possibly bring in. Sure. Patrick Maroon is technically a John Cooper guy because he had him in the USHL right. at the age of 16. He's, I know, somebody dug deep for that one because I didn't know that one. <laughs> and, and I just think he's run his course. And I think if he can't get out of the second round this year, I think he's going to get fired. I do. Well, that, that would be interesting. And, I, uh, you know, then he'll, he, he could end up being perhaps the, coach of the Detroit Red Wings. He could. Uh, you know, because Eisenman, I think, uh, certainly appreciates uh, what Cooper can do. Unless they, want, unless they want to return to Mike Babcock after he gets fired. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean that, 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 like I, people have asked me, and I said, you know, I honestly do not know how Steve Eisenman feels about Babcock. I, I, yeah. really, I really don't. Um, 
Um, so I, you know, I wouldn't, and you know, would he want to reprise his role, right. you know, in Detroit? I, you know, I'm not sure of that either. Well, here, um, but, here, but it, 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 that would be sad by the way, if Cooper replaced Blashill because they're very close friends. And, mm -hmm. uh, I watched uh, him a great guy. Like I just saw him recently. He, he's very, like very open and he talks to everybody and he's not like one of those coaches that doesn't want to talk to you if it's not the press conference, you know? And well, here, Here's the problem in Detroit, and you know me, I I'm I usually believe that coaches pay too big of a price for when things go bad because, mm -hmm. you know, he didn't create this mess of a roster in Detroit. Right. But saying that, um, we are reaching the point with this team, mm -hmm. uh, when you watch them play, that they're starting to play as if they expect something's going to happen. Right. Um, and, you know, it's not that they're losing, but they don't seem to be competitive. And um, I think if you're Steve Eisenman, you're going to at some point start to say, boy, you know, I got this one good line and I got Heronic, who I like a lot, right. um, uh, playing pretty well. You know, is this going to be so demoralizing that these, uh, you know, younger players are going to be stained for, uh, you know, for uh, the duration of their career? So, I, you know, I don't know what he's thinking. I, I, I think anybody that says, you know, they know what Eisenman is going to do other than maybe Darren Pang, his best friend. Is probably probably lying because I think he's yeah. as hard to read as any. And I don't think you know. League. And I don't think it's a situation where Cooper can't coach. I think it's a situation when you coach a certain way and you ask certain players to do certain things and you sort of favor. After a while, that does run out, and sometimes a coach like that needs a reset. Well, I I thought when Eiserman joined the Wings that his greatest challenge was going to be. You know, not bringing talent in because I think he, you know, he'll he'll he will assemble a staff and they'll make some good draft picks and 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 they'll develop well like he's like he did in Tampa Bay. But it was cleaning out what was on that roster right now. I mean, they have three unrestricted free agent defensemen. Erickson's already been sent to Grand Rapids. They have Daly. They have Green. They can trade them as rentals if they're healthy at closer to the deadline. But I don't know what the hell he's going to do with Darren Helm and Abdulkader and Glenn Denning. All these guys that have term on their contracts. And are declining, and I mean that's that that's the challenge. Can he move those guys? Well, I, I I don't think they need to move Glenn Denning. His his salary is very cheap, and he's still an effective uh, player. Right. Um. You know, and he's just playing on the fourth line. You know, sure. he's not stealing any minutes. Uh. And Helm is is probably been, you know, one of their noticeable players. Uh, but the real problem has been Abdicator and Nielsen. Yep. Um, you know, these are guys that they're paying uh, a fair amount of money to and getting really nothing, um, you know, from them. There's been little scoring beyond Bertuzzi, Larkin, and, and Mantha. So, um, you know, I, one thing that there's been sort of a rumor floating around that maybe Anthony Siu, uh would end up being part of a major trade mm -hmm. um, if uh, Eisenman could get a defenseman back or – um, you know, but I, I, I feel a little sorry for Anthony Sioux because he really hasn't had anybody to play with, you know, right. in, in Detroit. Uh, when they put the big line together, now saying that, uh, you know, they did break that big line up uh, and they they moved uh, some players around. And uh, so Anthony Sioux has had that and that hasn't worked either. In the last game, they tried putting that line back together. So, um, yeah, it's it's a mess. I, I, I just recently had a discussion. We were talking about the worst teams in the, in the league and a lot, a lot of people, a lot of us thought it was going to be the Senators, but I've watched that team. I said the other day, and I think that team competes hard. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I and I, I, I think 
I, I love Nielsen when he's playing above average, like, like they're, they're going to be a competitive team. He's so big. He just fills the net. Um, and uh, I, I like how they, I watched them probably three or four games this season and every game, I thought, my gosh, this team is playing hard for DJ Smith. Well, and and I was going to talk about this later, but while, since we're talking about the Senators now, well, I think I, well, hang on, I want to bring up one other thing. Look, I think Eisenman did a smart thing too, loading up Grand Rapids. Let those guys get some success there. I know they've lost a few in a row because I just looked it up, but let them get some success there. You don't want them playing on this roster with that kind of play. It's only going to hurt a developing player. So I think he did that right too, Kev. Yeah, but I. The problem is, other than Rasmussen, I'm not sure they're playing well down there. Um, so I mean, I don't think Cider's playing poorly. I oh, think- no, Cider's playing well, yeah. actually. I, I was talking more of the – Herdina. Yeah, uh, Herdina and uh, Valeno uh, got off to a poor start there oh. as well. Um, so, um, but uh, I, I I think eventually Cider will be up because uh, they're, they're real pleased with, you know, how that's going. Yeah. Okay. So just talking, just talking about the the teams that I think were surprises, negative or positive. I'll, I'll start with Ottawa because we were just talking about them. Um, you know, Russ and I were going back and forth on uh, on a text yesterday about the uh, the Ottawa Rangers game, and you know, granted, the Senators aren't going to make the playoffs. They did a smart thing. They brought in some veteran guys like Hainsey and Zaitsev and Tyler Ennis. You know, just the guys to fill holes to be good examples for some of the young players. Uh, I think we all think Brady Chuk, Brady Kachuk is going to be a star, but the trade that they made for Carlson, they have the San Jose Sharks 2020 first round pick. There's a very possible, very big possibility if the Sharks continue to struggle, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, they could have two top five picks and in a really strong draft that that could turn that team around pretty quickly. No question, and, and they've gotten ripped before for for trade, so. Again, I think Pierre Dorian's done a good job with what he can do with his constraints. I will say this, though, after watching that game yesterday, you know, Brady Kachuk is not only a force on the ice, but he is also a psychological assassin and who could really just derail a team. And he he got the Rangers hot and got them penalized. And on the penalty, you know, Rangers were, you know, Ottawa was on the power play quite a bit yesterday. I don't know the exact number because I kept floating in and out of that game. But I'll tell you, he, he could really be a force. Him and Pajot are a nice little combination on that top line. I mean, they've got players. They're going to get better. That that game with the Rangers, though, showed me one thing, though. The Rangers have been riding Georgiev hard, thinking that maybe he was the answer for when they felt like Lundqvist wasn't playing great, even though he's got a 906. It's the Rangers' defense that still stinks. Um, now they realized, okay, we can't you know, go like four in a row with Georgiev. Like, that's not a good idea either. So – David Quinn's trying to find balance. That's hard to do. But with Ottawa, you could tell that they're a good skating team. They don't have enough on defense. They don't. But when they get there, a couple of years, and I know Eugene Melnick got ripped for that remark. In a way, he's right. But in a way, they could accelerate if they actually spent money, too. Yeah. And I like their younger players. That's the key. Right. You know, all the guys who are, 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 are that you're watching that, that make you like this team, you know, they're going to be exceptional in the last and one other thing i didn't realize this kev but dj smith is a champion gum chewer i've never seen somebody (laughs) chew gum with with the regularity and speed that he does during the game yeah no he he gets uh gets down on that gum yeah there's no doubt about it 
Um, but yeah, I've, I've just been impressed with it. You know, that is the, uh, you know, when you see a team that has that kind of record, um, but you leave the game after watching them and say, boy, you know, they, they were a pretty good team, even though, you know, they got beat by two goals or three goals. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's saying something. I think he's done a good job. He has. Uh, with that team. And I think that was the right coach. And I like the direction they're going. I, I don't have the same uh, confidence in Dorian that you do, but I, I, I also recognize that he's done some good things there. Um, so, you know, I, it's never – um, you know, as much as we want in our business to to make it black and white, it's never black and white. It's always gray. No, but think about this: how many teams can lose an Eric Carlson but have a Thomas Shabbat to walk into that? Yeah, no, I, then that's one of the things he did. But uh, th he's made some bad decisions there as well. Sure. Yeah, there's no yeah. doubt. So, but you know, I mean, I'm, I recognize that you know he's done some good things and some bad things. Um, but. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I like that uh, like that team a lot. I, I wanted to bring up too. I don't know how many people read the athletic article. Yeah. Um, about the cocaine uh, and Molly use in the NHL, and um, as usual, it's very well written by Katie Strang. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's not groundbreaking. Like you don't go in there, and even though there are some pretty dramatic uh, or a couple dramatic quotes about um, it's the you know secret nobody talks about. Right. You know, basically what she's saying is, and I don't know how anybody could argue that, that because it's a society problem, you know, it's also a problem in the NHL and probably to the same percentage, I would guess, you know, if the, if it's uh, one in 20 people in the United States that uh, um, are involved with cocaine, that's not what it is, but I'm just using that number. Then I bet it's the same in the NHL. I, you know, why wouldn't it be, um, you know, and they, and they have more money and, and so forth. But uh, I thought it was an interesting article and it sort of gave the kind of the history of it. And um, I think it's worth reading. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I read a little bit of it, Kevin, it, it, almost at the same time, there was a, an article by Emily Kaplan on ESPN about, it was, I, I think it was more of a survey of, of some NHL players and the percentage of uh, the question was asked, how many uh, players think that cocaine or drugs is a problem in the NHL. And it was, I think one third said not, or it was a problem and two thirds said it wasn't a problem. So, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if that's a, a, a general reflection of society at, at currently, but uh, I know that, and, and I was curious that uh, there was a, there's a video out there of Kirby Dodge, who was the third overall pick for Chicago uh, in the recent draft where he was being interviewed. And apparently during the interview at the draft combine, it was brought up by Steve Eiserman, who was interviewing him, asking him whether he'd smoked marijuana. And, and he answered no. And then Eiserman like two minutes later says, are you sure you don't smoke marijuana? There are some players on teammates on your, that told me that you smoke marijuana. So he kept going back to it over and over. So this is something that I'm sure managers are concerned about because obviously if, 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 uh, if players are, are doing drugs or doing even recreational drugs like marijuana, that they think that that's going to be a problem going forward. Yeah. I, the, uh, that was on spit and chiclets and I went and listened to it. Okay. The Kirby Doc uh, uh, interview. And at the end of it, he said Eiserman told him when he left that he was just screwing around with him. Oh. Uh, so, so uh, you know, um, uh, by the way, that's, I, I don't know if, if you guys listen to Spit and Checklist, but that is a fine podcast. Yes. I, I listen to it. I'm, I'm hit and miss with it because I think they accomplished some things really well, 
And I think it's a little too lowbrow on, on the other end. But I do think stuff comes out of it. There's no question. Yeah, and I think it comes out of it because they're not that far removed from right. being in the game. Right. Um, sure. But because of that, they have some interesting insight. And yes. players open up. I mean, it's the first time uh, that, you know, you see a player interview where both the interviewer and the interviewee are swearing. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of an odd dynamic, but I think it makes everybody comfortable. And like the story coming out about Eisenman, I, like th that wouldn't come out in the course of a nor normal interview. You know, no, the, no. the setting has to be right, and mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, he he made, first he answered and said, "No, nothing strange happened." He said, "Oh, well, there's this thing with Eisenman," and uh, you know, I think every uh, everybody who does surveillance work, like we do. Uh, you know, pick that story up just because it was just a, a, a fascinating story, you know, to support and even set it up. I mean, Kirby's a, a, apparently a, a good storyteller because he set it up perfectly. He said, you know, I'm sitting down and looking across at a living legend, you know, a guy who, you know, everybody knows and was a great captain. By the and way, that's another player I would probably send down. I think he's got three points in eight games. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, uh well, let me finish my point, then I'll address yeah. that as well. But, uh, you know, he said, I look across from him, and the first thing he says to me is, uh, um, you know, I hear you smoke weed. You know, like, that's a pretty <laughs> startling opening uh, uh, elbow. Um, and then, you know, then he lets it go, and then he comes back to it. Uh, you know, are you yeah. sure you don't smoke weed? <laughs> you know, like, you know. It was a it was quite an enlightening interview. But uh, anyway, getting back to that, you know, the Blackhawks wanted him to make it like uh, I remember it, right after the draft, Bowman was asked um, and he, he basically said that they were making room for him. They, yeah. you know, they were going to give him every opportunity to make the team. And I think they wanted to do that. They want to expedite. And I, you know, to me, I almost felt like uh, they wanted to do it for the fans. Um, you know, uh, and I've said this before too, that you're naive if you don't believe that a team is going to think about what's best from the fan perspective. Right. Um, uh, because sometimes you have to sell hope. You know, if, sure. if there starts to be a decline in in your attendance mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, sometimes you have to say to yourself, well, maybe it'd be better because the fan bases are more sophisticated now. We all know that. Like, they, mm -hmm. they get it. Like, they know that, okay, you know, he's not going to look great this year. But he'll be up here, and he'll, you know, like in Detroit, they understood Larkin was going to get better and better every, every year, um, and the same is true there. So I, I think that to me, that's what they were doing. You know, everybody was mad at them because they're sitting on these bad contracts with mm -hmm. Seabrook and Duncan Keith, and they, they think, well, we'll see, you know, we'll give them some hope because you know this guy's going to be a pretty good player. But you know, it has, as you said. He hasn't really been effective, and it would be better for his development to go back. To be it sure. would. I'll tell you. And the other answer when you were saying, you know, to make room for something, we've all been to the diner and looked over, like, the uh, dessert display case and basically said, made a mental note, like, I'm going to make room for that, whatever, banana cream pie, whatever. And all of a sudden it comes, and it's like, mm, wasn't worth, wasn't worth doing that for. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. Well, so we Doc, know so Doc has been compared to uh, – Banana cream pie, I like that. Well, you know, you're not making room for pumpkin pie, Ross. No, never. I would throw it out on that road. Now, now, okay. The Blackhawks are four, six, and three. 
Uh, and, and, you know, maybe to, to your point, Kev, if they were more successful right now, if they were in the race, then maybe they would keep Doc and, 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 and continue on that. But I, I don't see this team right now, the way they're playing, uh, you know, challenging for a playoff spot. And the Seabrook situation was interesting because they healthy scratch a week or so ago. And I, I don't know where this organization has an out when it comes to Seabrook. I, I just can't see them, you know, eating four more years at almost $7 million with a guy who's declining. Well, and also just his reaction to that, where it just seemed like denial. Uh, yeah. Denial where he's at and denial that, you know, that he could easily be moved. Uh, I, I think it's impossible to move him with that, that contract. You would hope that he would take it as a challenge. Like, hey, because I think Mark Stahl sort of took that as a challenge with the Rangers and he's missed multiple games. And I think Mark Stahl is going to come back with like a head of steam saying, all right, look, they don't see this in my play. I'll show them. I got the exact same feeling you got, Kev. Like, I didn't see that fire out of Seabrook. No, no, I I, I didn't either. And, uh, you know, it's just a shame because he, he was always one of my favorite. He was just such a competitor. Yeah, he's a great guy, a great competitor. Yeah, that's what made him, you know, like, you know, he wanted to be the guy with the puck when the game was on the line. Like he was a much better offensive player in overtime or when uh, in the game was on the line than he was, you know, for the most of the course of the he game. He had a shaky early start with, yeah. um, oh, who was the uh, coach that used to do the spin around with? Uh, Denny Savard. Savard, right? Savard didn't like him. And and he had a really shaky start, and he's had a great career, but like he still could have more of a career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's obviously not the same player that he was before. But I I've been just totally disappointed by the Blackhawks this year. I really thought they were going to be an improved team. Yeah, I, I didn't. I actually thought they'd be bad, and I still think their coach could get fired. I think well, expectations got a little high there when they turned Strom into something. When they made a few roster moves and they got Leonard. And I felt like that raised expectations to a false level. Well, I think they had raised expectations because they were one of the best records in the NHL. Yeah, they like, I mean, they they were they were well. I, I hey, Russ. I mean, they, you know, they they only we've talked about that in other sports. Like, hey, they were the greatest second half team ever. Right. But you know what? Remember that year when there was a strike in the uh, in Major League Baseball, and there yeah. was a first half winner and a second half winner. I know. There's a reason why the second half winner doesn't happen in most years because. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah, but I mean, I thought they improved their defense, and if they, yeah, I did too. If they built on what they had, and you know, I mean, Leonard, I think Leonard was a good addition. Crawford really hasn't played that well right now. I mean, I, I'm a little surprised that they haven't succeeded. But the uh, the team that I'm the most surprised about, Kevin, Russ, and I debated this yesterday about what they're going to do is San Jose, because yeah. I mean, they're four ten and one. They've they've lost five straight. They're in the bottom five in offense and goals allowed. Um, they're one of the older teams in the league. They're, I mean, top-heavy in terms of salary with Vlasic and, and Carlson and, and Burns on defense. And those are all great names, but they're not playing great right now. I, we don't think that they're going to fire uh, DeBoer. So what can Doug Wilson do? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, this goes back to what, you know, uh, when uh, a bad start uh, evolves into it's just who you you are. You know, yeah, like, you, know, you are what you, you are. Yeah, the, suddenly where, you know, before you say, oh, they're off to a bad start. Well, sooner or later, 
you know, they're not off to a bad start. They're just a poor hockey team. And, you know, you look at it, Joe Thornton, uh, God bless him, been one of the great passers in the game forever. No goals in 15 games, four assists. You know, Logan Couture only has a goal. Yeah, uh, one goal. And uh, I think when you factor in that they've sort of got a new hierarchy trying to run that team, I think Logan uh, Couture has struggled in that capacity. Joe Thornton's not the player he was. Vlasic doesn't seem to be the player he was. I, I think uh, Burns and Carlson are combined minus 24. Yeah. Um, you know, when you factor all that in, and and really Martin Jones has not been the goalie they thought he was going to be. He hasn't been in two years now. No, that's right. That's right. And uh, I, I don't know that they can do much, but – um, I, you know, they're not as bad as they've shown. No, they're not. But uh, so, you know, they could turn it around a little bit, but, but you know, seen, they're, they're Kev, certainly not the contender that we thought they were. But Kev, you've seen where bad, bad goaltending, like you all of a sudden a bad goal goes in, how it deflates a team, it affects the defense. It really can derail a team. For sure. Oh, for sure. Because you play differently. Yeah. You know, when you, when you don't trust your goaltender, you know, you go back to when the year that the Buffalo Sabres, uh, got into the final and then uh, felt they got screwed on the Brett Hall goal. You know, Hashik was so good <clears throat> that year that, you know, the players said all the time, like, we never even worry about our, our defense. Right. And if we give up a, a breakaway, well, so be it. You right. know, the man back there will will, will stop it. And, with, and the, the reverse is true as well. With this team, I don't think they trust either goalie. Like, Aaron Dell was on the downside last year, but he's probably the only backup they could fit in under the cap that they knew had some experience. So, Kev, that's, they have to get a goalie if they want to save their season. Well, and, and they could do that. Um, you know, they, they may hunt around. And another guy, too, that, that you know, I gave a pass to by accident, uh, like Timo Meyer. like we were uh, waiting for him. Like this was going to be his season when he was going to really assert himself. And, yeah. you know, he hasn't been there either. I, no, they, they, they basically have six or seven or eight guys yeah. who are grossly underachieving. And and Evander Kane has been more focused on being a professional disturber and starting crap on the ice than he has been scoring goals. They need him to score goals. So yeah. I mean, yeah, it's been it's been a disaster. But I like I said, I don't think they're going to fire DeBoer. I think that no, Wilson no, they, they won't. But I, I got to think that Wilson is going to have to try to you know do something. But you know, the rallying cry now because we're a copycat league is remember the St. Louis Blues. You know, right. that that's what everybody's going to say. I, I, you know, we have to give Wilson credit, though. Even though this team's doing poorly, he didn't re-sign Pavelski, who's eight points in 16 games is not great either. Nope. And got signed to a long-term deal. What would he get, four or five years, something like that? Five, like, yeah. Yeah, so that's a they dodged a bullet with that. This yeah, is, no, I, I guess they did. Um, either that or Pavelski just hasn't found his way yet in this, uh, you know, Playing for Montgomery in a different uh, city, and you know that's a team too that I'm I'm concerned about as well. I'm, I'm disappointed in them because yeah, yeah. And when you look now at the you know when you have Sagan, Ben, Radulov, and Pavelski, those are all thirty goal potential players, right? And you know look at their offense, you know yeah. down near the bottom of the league uh, uh, rankings in offense. Um, yeah, and I, 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 the last time I looked at, the, at their stats, Rupe Hintz was leading the team in scoring. I don't think it's the case. That's the yeah, case. I don't think they're averaging two goals a game. I, aren't they down like 1-8? Take a look at that. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? Every game that I've seen of Dallas, 
Rupe Hintz is the best player on the ice. Yeah. That's a problem. Not because Rupe Hintz isn't a good player, but because they have those other guys, like you said. Kev, I will tell you this, and I've only been in the, in the, in the locker room once for Dallas this year so far. I got to tell you, I don't even know if Jamie Benn has sort of worn off as a leader because he's not the same point guy he was. Seems like Ben Bishop's the leader in that locker room, but you can't put a C on a on a goalie anymore. I think yeah. that's fair, actually. Uh, Thirty-seven goals, four in sixteen games, so about two point four, two point five per game. That's be better than that. Yeah, and they've and they've given up forty-one goals against, which you know that's a little surprising based on how they played defensively last year and how good Bishop was. Now, Kevin Paul Dupont put this on Twitter this morning, and I I, I was struck by it. The Bruins and the Blues, obviously the Stanley Cup finalists. Usually, you expect one of those, one of the two Stanley Cup finalists to have sort of that Stanley Cup hangover and struggle. Combined, twenty wins, four losses, five you know loser points, seven seventy six winning percentage. The, the 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 Bruins are eleven one and two after beating Pittsburgh last night. A really wild game, and the Blues are leading the Central Division. I'm a little surprised at that. I expected like, yeah. one of these te teams to have a little trouble, and especially the Blues losing Tarasenko for as long as they are going to lose. I, I, I've got a theory on that. I, my theory is this. You know, the Bruins are still hungry. Um, you know, they felt uh, uh, that it got away from them, uh, mm -hmm. that they could have won that cup, and they, they've come out determined. Uh, and I think the Blues, having won it the way they did, mm -hmm. where, they, where it was catastrophic until – until the yeah. middle of January, sort of understand what it takes, and I, I think they want to kind of prove, you know, that uh, you know that just wasn't a one-hit wonder. That that they're really the team they showed in the second half of the season. So I I, I think that's uh, you know why they you know they didn't come bolt uh, you know uh, coming out hard out of the gate and get 62 wins and win the cup. So you know, I, I gotta give it. I, I I agree with you, Kev, but I also think there's something else here at play, and sometimes. We try and paint it as a negative, but it really hasn't been. I, I think the first line for the Bruins is one of the best first lines I've ever seen. Uh, the goal of game line was the first great line that I remember seeing. Every Montreal Canadiens line in the 70s was great. So, you know, I can't pull you one because they had four great lines. Yeah. But the goal of game line was great. The Legion of Doom line, Doom line was another amazing line. But right now this Bruins line is – I, I tell you, if it goes like this for another couple of years with this line, it could be the best of all time. Well, well one of the one of the things I wanted to bring up, and I want your your opinion on this, Kevin. I mean, because last year we saw Colorado basically be a one line team and make the playoffs and get to the second round. There have been teams that have been essentially one line teams and been successful. And I think in a way the Bruins are, although you know DeBrusque and Krejci on the second line, they have three like workman like lines that support that number one line you can you can uh, contrast that with Edmonton right now who it's all McDavid and it's all Dreisaitl last night in a 3-2 loss to Arizona Dreisaitl plays 25 minutes McDavid plays 23 he scores an unbelievable goal but they end up Arizona focused on them tried to beat them into the ice and ended up winning on a Derek Stepan goal I don't think that is sustainable. Teams like Boston, they can sustain it because they have other guys contributing, whereas Edmonton, I don't see any contributors other than, say, Nugent Hopkins and, uh, and Neil when he plays on that number one line. Yeah, and I, I think everybody knows that. Like, that's not a secret. I, I think that they, 
you know, I would guess what's going to happen is, is they'll be looking to add two veteran players, scores, and, you know, try to create that depth, you know, especially if, if the, if this team continues to stay and play as well as it has for any extended period of time, um, they'll try to create that. The problem with that is, is we know from past experiences that that usually isn't all that effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for a short run, maybe it'll work. And, you know, we, it's too early to kind of know who will be available, but you know, if you, if you can do that and find a couple of guys and, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's one guy, you know, maybe you could, uh, you know, kind of fake it a little bit, um, because they're, you know, Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid have just been unbelievable and, you know, and maybe you split them up and, you know, there'll, there'll be some, I think they'll be moving, shuffling the, uh, uh, juggling the balls a little bit as we get closer to the trade deadline. I'll tell you the two things that worry me about the Edmonton Oilers. They're only a plus five for differential and they're not like the best goal scoring team. Like Calgary has more goals. Vegas has more goals. Vancouver has more goals. You know, that's another worrisome point for them is they're scoring probably to their capability as far as McDavid and Dreisaitl and maybe even Nugent Hopkins. But without that other scoring, it's not going to sustain. It just can't. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, for sure that's the case. Now, a couple other teams that have been surprising. I saw the Islanders uh, in person last Saturday against the Sabres. And, you know, I, I didn't think the Islanders could repeat what they did last year. Right now I'm, I'm dramatically wrong. They're 10-3. and three. They've won nine games in a row. But what I was struck by, Kev, was they get up one nothing in the first period on a Broussard goal, and they – shut the Sabres down. It was one four checker in, four guys on the blue line. And as Russ pointed out, they were daring the Sabres to dump it in. And the Sabres refused to do it because all these teams were focused on tough possession. And they just neutralized the Sabres. Well, well, what I would say about them, you know, I was wrong on them too, but – I, I, I think the the miss the reason that I didn't have faith in him is I just did not like Vlarimov. Yeah, uh, I just didn't right. trust him, and uh, he's come in and he's played well. But if you look at what they have going, is you got to go look at the goalie stats. Yeah, like their their goalie stats, um, you know, their goals against is exactly the same almost. Like it's you know two point one four. I'm talking right. about Grice and Vlarimov. Right. And their save percentage, both of them are over 929. Yeah. Well, what, what what that tells you is this is all about the team defense. And so this is. is all about trots. And we'll give Mitch Korn credit. He's always gotten credit. We'll give him credit too. Yeah, but uh, you know, I, I just right. think that uh um you know uh, this is this this is very sustainable because you know this is a team that simply knows how to play. Yeah. Well, anyway, but getting past that. My basic thing was, and I only saw the Flyers do this a little bit, and I haven't seen enough teams do it more, but why not do the dump and chase? Why not dump the puck in and win a corner battle? Why not challenge those guys? Because the longer you have you have the puck, the more you're breaking down their system, and nobody seems to come in with that game plan. Has this turned into the NFL with the West Coast offense? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe so. That's a great analogy. Yeah, now – I know we talked about it yesterday, you and I and Bob Duff, but I wanted to touch on the Leafs because they're playing the LA Kings tonight. And over the last week or so, we've had 
Stanley Cup winners like Ovechkin and now Drew Doughty, who made some comments about, you know, the Leafs and what they have to do to be a more successful team. Doughty's from the area. So, you know, he's and he he's he's never hesitant to say something in the in the media about to be a little bit controversial. And that's what I like about him. But uh, right now, Kev, the 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 thing with the Leafs is is Mike Babcock and his manipulation of the roster. Um, and you would think it's not that big of a deal when a guy who's a fourth line guy is yanked in and out of the lineup, but when it's a, when it's a player like Jason Spezza, who's, you know, maybe a borderline hall of famer, 36 years old, came to the Leafs basically to, you know, at the behest of Dubas and Babcock, they both lobbied to bring him. And now he is being yo-yoed in and out of the lineup. And after his best game where he scores a goal and an assist in Philadelphia, scores a goal in the shootout to keep them alive to win the game, he benches him in favor of Nick Shore. And uh, and they they call up Nick Patan from the minors and put him in the lineup instead of putting Spets in the lineup. People are getting a little irked about Babcock and the way he – does things, but I, this is nothing new. He did that in in Detroit as well, correct? Yeah, he sure did. And uh, you know, uh, you know, basically the way that it had ex- been explained to me is, is he lets the top two lines do what they do, uh, and then lines three and four and the defensive pairings belong to him. And you know, he's going to manipulate those players. And he, you know, one of the ways he does it is is by moving people in and out of the lineup and. Um, you know, he feels that that it's been effective for him. He feels like it motivates those players and keeps them sharp. But it's been pretty clear for a guy that wanted Spezza there that you know he has no belief in him now that he has him. I mean, there's well, no- and I was I was part of the scrum with Spezza the other day when he scored his first goal as a Leaf. Oddly enough, it was his first goal at the Wells Fargo Center many years ago. I don't know how many years he's in the league now. I covered his draft. I guess it's like seventeen or eighteen, probably. Yeah something in that range. And he said everything the right way. Like this guy is such a good soldier, Kev. He said, it doesn't bother him. Believe it or not, he will do what's right for the team. And boy, I got to tell you, if I was Spezza, I'd be frustrated because this could be my last year and I really want to win the cup. And he absolutely did not bite at that question at all. Yeah. Because if he, if he bit Russ, his days in Toronto would be. But it may be anyhow. Like his yeah. days would be numbered anyhow. That's and that's the that's the ironic thing is right right now they're at uh, right now they have one player uh, in Zach Hyman who's maybe two to three weeks away from coming back. He's on long term injury right now. There are twenty three men right on their roster. When Hyman comes back and he's making two and a half million, they have to demote three or get rid of three players. They have to be down to 21, 20 to twenty one players. And with that, people were saying, okay, well, if he's if Spets is in and out of the lineup, he's going to be one of the three. So he could be playing for the Toronto Marlies in a couple weeks. And that's the ultimate. It's like this guy can still perform in the NHL. And if they're going to send him down to the American League, I wouldn't doubt he's either going to retire or he's going to ask for a trade. His hands are still really good. And honestly, I just felt like he had a little rust when I saw him a couple days ago. I got to tell you, if, if the Leafs do this to him, maybe Ottawa will bail it out and get him back and let him retire there. And that might be something nice because if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Spezza drafted in, in Toronto? Like It was 0-1 draft. It wasn't 0-2. 2 was Toronto. 0-1. Oh, 0-1. Okay. Yeah. But he, he holds Toronto in a high regard. And yeah. unfortunately, he's, from there. 
he's going to find out like so many players that go home that it's not it's not what you think it's going to be. Well, this this is the thing that's a concern, and it was brought up by Jeff Merrick on Hockey Central, uh, and and I, I I agree with this assessment. And Kevin, I want to get your thought on this. Kyle Dubas, over the next two or three years, with the money that they're spending on Tavares, Marner, Matthews, Nylander, over forty million in cap space, they're going to. It's going to be a necessity for them to get those discounted players to come in, like Brad Richards went to Chicago when they won their last cup to get a guy to come in for a million dollars. Well, tell me any veteran who's going to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to Toronto when he could be screwed around with like the way Babcock is screwing with Spezza. Yeah, no, at some point uh, playing for uh, Babcock becomes a detriment to you in terms of your ability to recruit players, Um, you know, because people know that he is, you know, he's tough on players. And, um, you know, I I think uh, in this day and age where it's difficult, we've talked about this before, to, to have an idea of who's going to win the, the cup that, you know, where it, it can be 10 different teams. So it, because of that, because it's hard to do that, players look at a lot of other factors and make them important than, than they have in the past. And one of them is, you know, chemistry with the coach. And, you know, before they'd say, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll learn to live with it, with whatever it is. Well, now they think, well, why should I, you know, let me go to a place where I think that, the coach and I can uh, have good good chemistry. So I, I agree with the uh, assessment that that will be uh, uh, a recruiting disadvantage. I see that it was just reported that Spets is in, uh, not Spets, uh, Tavares is in, and so Spets and Timoshoff are out. Yeah. Timoshoff, I felt bad for the other day because I heard a story where in Philly he didn't know how to get to the bus. <laughs> and one of the writers that I know had to help him find the team bus. And it's like, Come on, Leafs! Isn't there somebody that's going to watch out for this kid? As I as I mentioned to you before the show, Russ, uh, they're putting Nick Batan in the lineup because Nick Batan scored yeah. five points in two games, yeah. and in in with the Marlies, they call him up, and of course they're putting him on the line with those two offensive juggernauts, Nick Shore and Freddie Gauthier. <laughs> um, now there are eleven games on the schedule tonight. I think the the highlight is Bruins Canadians because it's always a war, and. It is Zdeno Chara's 1,500th game. He's only the sixth wow. defenseman in NHL history to uh, to play 1,500 games. And I said on Twitter, I'm sure the Montreal police will be giving him a ceremonial pair of handcuffs for his 1,500th game. <laughs> so That's very nice, Mike. I, I think – I'll tell you who didn't play 1,500 but got close that, you know, he's since passed away, but I hold in high regard as Harry Howell. He played yeah. like 1,511 games – and he probably never got great or enough credit, even though I think he's a Hall of Famer. I'm pretty sure. And the Rangers, yeah. did, you know, and he did retire his number. But sometimes guys who play that many games, we all want to say, yeah, they're great. But I do think you sort of take them for granted. Like Zdeno Chara, like I was asked a question today, and maybe Kevin could give a better answer than me. But I was asked the question on Sirius, when Zdeno Chara was with the Islanders, could you see that he was going to be this player? And I went back to the Kentucky Thoroughblades because I knew a few friends that had seen him there, and they said he was the worst thing they'd ever seen on the ice, just this big, gorky guy. And I remember him with the Islanders and not thinking this guy was going to develop, but sometimes these bigger defensemen, once they develop, and he, obviously with his training methods, I mean, look what we've got now. But did you see it early on, Kevin? Uh, no. In fact, everybody thought that he was going to be a bust. Uh, like, you know, he, he didn't show – much promise. That's why, you know, you got to give Peter Shirelli some, some credit, uh, you know, for yeah. his, 
and tenure in Boston because he was able to look at him and say, you know, he's starting to make, uh, you know, real, real strides. And, you know, he, he had started to look much better, as everyone knows, before then. But, um, you know, I don't know that anybody thought he was going to, A, last as long. And there are people who say he's skating now better in his 40s. I know teammates have told me that than he did in his 30s because he's worked at it. His diet, we've talked about before, I think, I believe he's a vegan. Um, you know, he's totally adjusted his diet, weighs his food, the whole nine yards. So uh, I'm going to have to sign off, guys. I got an interview to do. Always a pleasure. Thanks. See you later. Yeah. We'll take a couple questions in the chat, but just, just to show the arc of Chara. Yeah. His last year with the Islanders, he played all 82 games. He had two goals and seven assists. I mean, it's, it is amazing. In, 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 his, in his four years with Ottawa, 23, 39, 41, 43. And then he goes to Boston in the next five, six years, 43, 51, 50, 44, and 50, 44 again and 52. So not only defensively, not only the, the wingspan and the intimidation factor, but he became an offensive juggernaut as a defenseman. I know it's no, it's, and it does show you that sometimes those guys develop late. The, the other thing I wanted to mention is right now, if you ask me to vote for the Calder, Kale McCarr would probably be my guy. Because Kale McCarr, as a defenseman, has 11 points in 14 games. As a defenseman. Yeah. No, I mean. I know that everybody jumped on the Olofsson train early. Yeah. but Yeah, well, and, and Olofsson was rookie of the month. But, you know, in October. But, again, the factor here is uh, in the game on Saturday, they took him off the – the, the number one line with uh, with uh, Eichel and Reinhardt because he doesn't score five on five. He's got six goals. He's got eight goals in his career, and all eight are on the power play. Right. If, if, he's, if he's a legitimate rookie of the year candidate, then he's going to have to score five on five, and that might not – you know, he could be a specialist. I mean, I think he's a really good player. Yes. I think he could score 20 to 25 goals, but it might might be more than half on the power play. Yeah, the McCarr story is a good one, though. We'll keep going. Uh, all right, some questions in the chat. Send them in. Uh, we'll take a few of them here. Uh, Thomas Boyle asks, Russ, do you think Kiefer Bellows is a bust for the Islanders? Nope. I think that um, he plays a Barry Trot style. I think that right now they don't want to upset the apple cart, so they would never bring anybody up like that to sort of insert him in. But I think if his skating gets just a little better, no, he's not a bust. He's going to be a role player. He was never going to be a star player. Uh, stuttering guitarist asked, uh, Mike or Russ, have you heard anything about what Eiserman is doing? If anything, contracts, trades, etc." Well, I mean, we talked about it with Kevin. I, I, I do think that the Athena CU thing is a possibility because remember he signed a two year bridge deal after a holdout. And that was Darren Ferris. He was playing the Darren Ferris playbook, uh, and, and didn't get a, didn't get a, anything more than a one year deal at a, at a lower amount. Uh, and, He's an arbitration-eligible RFA, two years away from unrestricted free agency. They might be of the feeling that, okay, he's good, he's got speed, but are we going to make a long-term investment? And if, they don't, if they're not interested in making a long-term investment with him, then trading him and getting value for him at this point makes sense. He'll be the busiest guy at the deadline trying to move these contracts. Yeah. He's in the midst of tanking. That's it. Yeah. No, this is – I mean, Detroit is smart – to be to be as bad as they possibly can yep. uh Bardicus uh asks uh you talked about Ottawa uh positively earlier 
But one name I didn't hear, and I was going to mention was Branstrom, but we moved on to the conversation. Should he be up in the NHL or is he better served uh, playing 25-plus minutes in Belleville? I, I mean, they've got Zaitsev and Hainsey up there. They've got Shabbat, DeMello. I mean, they, they – Shabbat have been good. Yeah, they – I mean, the thing is – if you're going to have Branstrom up there, you want Branstrom playing in your top four. You don't want him playing 12 minutes a night. No. I think it's beneficial, more beneficial for him to play. And remember, there's more than just him. They have Batherson down there. They have other prospects down there. So I don't think it's a bad thing to let him, you know, get, get into the swing of things and, and learn down there. And I, would, then I would send him down. I would because at the well, end I of the day. I think he is down now. I don't think he's down, down now. now. Uh, it doesn't say that on Elite Prospects, so I don't. Yeah. Now maybe they sent him yesterday, but he's played 13 games. Yeah, I thought I, I thought I had seen him. I thought I had seen him being sent down, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I'm trying. Either way, he should go down. Right. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like right now of the of the 2019 draft picks, and it's looking at it, just 2019. I believe the only three that are up are the three top picks. Right. Okay, so. You know, Brandstrom is a 2017 pick. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about somebody who's a little older here. So, um, okay, let's see. As oh, actually, I think you're right about the top three. I was thinking, is there somebody else? Well, but Byram, yeah. I'm looking at the draft. You know, Hughes, Kako, Dotch, Byram's down, Turcotte's down, Cider's down, Cousins, uh, Sarstrom, Knight, York, Coffee. They sent uh, they sent Hynola down to the minors. Yeah. LA sent Bjornfoot down. So yeah, no, they're yeah, the only that's Yeah, that's it. Um, okay, let's see. Um, Russ, did you see the article about the NHL's worst dressing rooms? I believe they no. said they said Edmonton was the best. Well, it's a, the newest place. So right. Phil, I Anthony, if you can put in the chat which one I saw the list, but I didn't remember who the worst one was. I, from what I remember, they said the one that was the worst had the worst shower. I think it might have been. I think it might have been Washington. I think they said Washington had the worst showers. Um, okay, a couple more questions, and then one the show. Let's see here. Well, I will save that one for Russ in a minute. Uh, Esmir, do you think the Devils would try to bury Schneider in the minors if his? You, okay. This is not the era of Wade Redden. You can't bury a contract. And I'm looking up, I think Schneider is at $6 million. You can't bury $6 million in the minors. Um, no, I want to mention about the locker rooms or dressing rooms. So Washington is getting a little cramped in there, but they just bought a new scoreboard. So obviously they're not doing anything about it anytime. Are they throwing the old scoreboard in the shower room? Is that <laughs> No, but they, they decided instead of going wide like the Flyers, they now have the tallest, I believe. Like, this has, like, become, like, a game between the teams. But nothing was worse than the old rooms in MSG that had the columns in it. <laughs> it was just – these were just small rooms. It was awful. I mean, no. that was truly awful until they redesigned and then they got some sweet locker rooms. Okay, and, and you know, at, at, the risk of, at the risk of upsetting somebody – I have to say that the greatest dis differentiation between home and away in terms of locker rooms might be Buffalo. 
Buffalo has this enormous round room, yeah. you know, with the big, with the, I, th I think the saber emblem is on the ceiling. I can't remember if, yeah. if it's on the rug, but I mean, it's voluminous. It's, and then you go into the visitor's locker room and it's, it's not even half the size. It's, yeah. um, okay. A couple more quick ones. Uh, Anthony says, do you think Hank, meaning Lundquist stays in New York this season at the deadline? No, he's never going anywhere. I don't think he's going anywhere, but do I think he's getting a little aggravated? Sure. Okay. Um, let's see here. What about the rats at the old Boston Garden? Okay. Are you talking about the fans or are you talking about? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Are we talking about Brad Marchand? He is a rat. Um, okay. That's it. No, no, it's hot at the old Boston Garden. Everybody. Okay. I, remember, I remember Kareem Abdul-Jabbar lost like twenty pounds in a in in the finals. It was so it was so hot that the that that the 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 humidity was making players slip on the parquet floor at the Boston Garden during the eighty. It was eighty five final. It was really um, great. Yeah. Last question. Bartica says, if Spezza gets waived, does he get claimed? Yes. Yeah, I think he gets claimed. That's why, I like I I know when he signed in Toronto. You know, and again, maybe circumstances change things, but he said he wanted to end his career in Toronto. He wanted to win a cup with the Leafs. You know, that was his dream, and that I don't think it was lip service. I think he genuinely wanted to do that. Um, it's just a question of whether, when it comes to Hyman uh, coming back, whether they're, they're going to cut down probably to twenty-one players. Whether the extra body will be Spezza as the thirteenth forward over. Nick Shore or Dimitro Timoshov. Timoshov has to clear waivers. He's 23 years old. They don't want to lose him. So I don't think. Oh, I get that. Yeah, I don't think they'll send him down. Martin Marinson, nobody in their right friggin' mind will claim him. And my career with the Leafs, right? But if they try and prematurely end it, he's not going to want it to end that way. I'm proud of Ottawa. Yeah, I mean, that would, you know finish your career where you started. I, I I get that. But I think if you really wanted to do that, now maybe they weren't interested, but I don't know why there would be a change of mind unless it's a, a team or two interested in him. I think we'd be surprised. Well, I, somebody, somebody, yeah. somebody suggested Boston and I'm like, you know, the thing is that, you know, they, they, they bring in veteran guys if they think they have a little bit left. I want to do this. I think the Sharks would take them in a hot second to play with Thornton. Yeah, it's possible. All right. Good show. Um, we thank Kevin Allen for coming on. Uh, we'll have Ak back tomorrow. Uh, I'm sorry, Ak. Who? For us going, I'm Michael Agello. Thanks for watching. And remember, without the buzz. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.